We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back, Irish fans, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I am your host. I'm Vince D'Addario, the football analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. And with me, as always, is Brian Driscoll. He is the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. And we are going to continue our series on a look back at the 2020 season. And uh, we already published our defensive breakdown our our defensive analysis of the 2020 season and now we're going to jump on to the offensive side of the ball and uh, I I would say the the overall thought uh, on our defensive side was very positive it was very exciting it was good it was great Um, and now we move to the offensive side might not be as enthusiastically positive but there are still some positives to talk about for sure Um, quickly Brian not quickly but uh, your overall thoughts on the offense now that the 2020 season is put to bed, we've had a chance to kind of reflect on the season and what it brought us and all of that. If I say the Notre Dame 2020 offense, your thought is what? Well, uh, you know, I, I get that I'm a little long-winded, Vince, but you didn't have to give me the uh, the, the quickly command there. You do realize I'm on the show with you, right, when you said that quickly thing, right? <laughs> That's right. Um, so I was like, well, wait, maybe not quickly. Yeah, hold on. I, this is Driscoll we're talking about. Okay, <laughs> so just however long it takes you in your long-winded manner. Um, look, Vince, to me, when, when, when I look at the offense, I think they did what they needed to do. Uh, to to beat the teams that they were supposed to beat and it wasn't always pretty it was rarely a thing of beauty but they got it done and and look they had their ups and downs this year but but in a couple of the bigger games even though they were never they never played like a great 60 minute game they never had that game where you're like well I think the closest we could probably get to that is Boston College but even then you had that early turnover where you fumbled the ball and gave them the ball in their red zone and all that but they never had that like that. They never had like that 2017 USC game. Yeah, you know where they just went out and just obliterated a really good team. But they did what they needed to do, and they came up clutch when they needed to come up clutch. You know, even in games where they were terrible. I think back to the Louisville game when the offense was wow. about as bad as we've seen the offense play in a long time. Ian Book was terrible that game. Yeah. Less than a hundred yards passing late in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. but he hits a clutch third down throw on that final drive to milk the clock out. I mean, you know, and, and you, you talk about – and on that same drive, you know, the play that always stands out to me was 
it was a third, I think a third down handoff to Kyron Williams and, and uh, he cuts back and you look over and then that's who's leading him down the field for yards. It's Ian book, you know? So it just, it said a lot about the mentality of the offense. You know, they weren't sexy. They were gritty. Right. They were grinders. Uh, they clearly didn't play the level that you need to, to, to play to win a championship or even be competitive for a championship, but they battled. And, and even in the, the, the game against Alabama, you know, look, Ian Book didn't play well, and he made a lot of the criticisms that we – but the kid competed his butt off, you know, took a big shot, got knocked out of the game, came back in, and, and you know, when finally given the chance to throw, I thought, you know, he, he made some plays, and you saw some breakouts, and, and you saw the offensive line play. And so I think the positives are is this team d- d- did develop a mentality of no matter who we play, we're going we're gonna to compete with you. There was never that game where they just looked uninspired you know, really, even the Clemson game, I don't think there was a lack of competitiveness. I think they were unprepared for some things they saw in that game. Um, I don't think they executed very well, but there wasn't that, like, Michigan 2019 game where you're like, this team doesn't even want to be here, yeah, you know? Right. There, That's there was, what I felt and, and, during that game. <laughs> and there, were, there was a game like that almost every year, you know, it, it really come up to 2017. There was almost a, year, a game like that every year, and then even in those couple of years, there was there was a game here, a game there, where we saw some of that. You know, I think I think of the Stanford game in 20, 2017 was that game for me. Um, you know, twenty nineteen we looked we we talked about the Michigan game, so we never really had that game. But yeah, there were games yeah. they didn't play well at all, uh, and, and and that's really what what the concern for me is moving forward. When you consider you had a three year starting quarterback that that Brian Kelly just praises I, I still don't remember a game where Brian Kelly was ever critical of Ian Book afterwards um, when you talk about you had arguably the the best offensive line in the country at worst to me the second best offensive line in the country when I say best I'm more referring to kind of what you had for the majority of the year I, I think Alabama was better without Landon Dickerson at center than Notre Dame was without Jared, without Patterson. Joe, Jared Patterson because Zeke Carell then got hurt like I, right. I really think that if Zeke Carell would have stayed healthy and then played against Syracuse and played against Clemson, we might we might be having a different conversation because I thought he played well in the two games he played in. So, uh, you know, we saw a breakout. We saw the running back. You know, depth chart really stepped up a year after it was a mess. You know, Tony Jones was really good when he played last year, and if he would have stayed healthy, he would have had over a thousand yards, but he couldn't stay healthy. You know, when they played Georgia, they had really two healthy running backs on the roster. We saw that position group really flourish this year. Um, you know, so, so there were some good things to, to talk about, Vince, mm-hmm. and I want to lead with that. And then we'll get into some of the things that were concerning that are why I'm going to spend a lot of the offseason talking about how we can never see an offense like this again at Notre Dame if Brian Kelly is serious about competing for a national championship and not just being happy with 10-2 and two or going 12-0 and 0 against an uh, inferior schedule. You know, so those will be the things that we'll, we'll focus on moving forward. But – there were certainly some 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 aspects of this that, that and there were some under there was a couple underrated seasons that to me aren't getting enough love because of how the offense performed and we'll we'll kind of get into that as we dive into the specific position groups. Well, I wanted to you know since we're talking about the offense as a whole and and you. I got two points I want to make. The first point I want to make is you talked about how the offense was gritty. They never gave up, et cetera. I think you could say that they, they took on the identity of their quarterback. I mean, he's, he's gritty. He never quit. You know, that was always the the praise that you or I would give him after a game is the kid doesn't give up. He'll fight, you know, for that last yard. Even when he's he's, not playing well. And and that's the thing you like. Absolutely. So that, I, I think the offense took on his identity in that regard. Um, but the, the issue and I know that you probably got the numbers in front of you, uh, was Notre Dame's offensive production in comparison to other elite teams. And, and frankly, those elite teams have elite offenses. And right. I think that's where, that's where the problem lies for you and I, um, and, and, and plenty of other Notre Dame fans, is that Notre Dame doesn't stack up uh, against the Alabamas, the, the Clemsons, the Ohio States, you know, the three other teams that were in the college football playoff, if you look at the offensive numbers uh, as a whole, Notre Dame doesn't really stack up. And that's, you know, you talk about points per game, uh, you talk about passing yards per game, uh, explosive plays, whatever metric that you want to look at outside of maybe the run game, Notre Dame has a hard time keeping up. 
Well, and even there, the, the run game was not where it needed to be in the two games that where it mattered. And, and part of that right. was not the, the fault of the run game. Part of that was you know, the offense, you know, or the, the pass game, I mean. You sure. know, but, but, you know, I wrote an article recently talking about, you know, where Notre Dame stacks up against some of the better offenses in the country. And the reality is, is not well. You know, when, when you look at and, – and, and we'll, we'll have more on this as we get – we'll have an actual show where we kind of talk about the changes that are need to be made, but here's why changes need to be made. If you look at the last three years, uh, Notre Dame's scoring offense <clears> – <throat> scoring defense, you know, Notre Dame's given up 18.6 points per game, 336.9 yards per game. Well, Alabama is 18.5 points per game, 331.2 yards per game, and they both give up 4.9 yards per play. Pretty much you know, and, the and same. Then, yeah, and then you look at Notre Dame, they have a better, better scoring average than Ohio State, give up fewer yards than Ohio State, give up fewer um, yards per play than Ohio State, give up fewer yards passing per game, give up almost a half yard less yards per pass attempt, give up almost a full yard less yards per completion. And that's a school that's putting first-round draft picks in the secondary in the NFL yeah. every year, you know. Right. And they're not exactly in a league with juggernaut offenses. And then there's the Notre Dame offense. Notre Dame's offense the last three years has averaged 33.9 points per game. 439.7 yards per game and 7.6.2 yards per play. During that time, Alabama is 46.9 points per game, 522.3 yards, 7.8 yards per play. Two Clemson, 43.9, uh, 520.6, and then 7.2. Ohio State's 44.4, 535.2, 6.9. Oklahoma's 44.6, 537.3, 7.9. Notre Dame matches up very favorably with Georgia, who is at 33.8 points per game, 433.2 yards per game, and 6.5 yards per play. How many playoff appearances Georgia had in the last three years? Zero. And they also match up very favorably in national championships and, 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 you know. playoff victories. Yeah, Yeah, because Georgia had – their playoff victory came, you know, it's now 2017. This three-year stretch included 18, 19, and 20. So, you know, look, and Georgia's been a team that has underachieved with its talent. I mean, it's just a fact. Georgia, and the one thing I point out in the article is Georgia's finished with a top five recruiting class in all but one year during that stretch. And that one year, I think they were sixth. You know, so um, it's about a philosophy. And, and, you know, Alabama used to be very comparable to to Notre Dame when it came to numbers if you took out the FCS opponents back when they were winning titles early in the decade. Well, this isn't 2012 anymore. You know, this this is a new era of college football. And you have to score to, 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 to be competitive on that big stage. And it's not a surprise that in the one game where Notre Dame earned a big win like that, they scored 47 points, 33 in regulation, 47 points overall. I mean, you needed to score to win those games, and they just they, they haven't been able to do it with any consistency. And they got an assist from the defense in the one game they did score. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So the, the fact of the matter is, is, is Notre Dame, once again, was not good enough on offense. And, and the frustrating thing, Vince, is, you know, people talk about, the, the, the confusing thing for me, really, when I look at it was I was I was surprised at how many people praised the offense as we were going through the year. That that was a bit of a head scratcher to me because I just I never understood what people were watching when 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 we when we talked about the offense because I, I never saw a group that really looked like it belonged on that on that stage. You know, they, and do you think it's do you think do you think fans? I'm not even talking about almost, fans. I'm talking about okay. I'm talking about. I mean, it just. I mean, I don't read what other people write unless somebody sends me something. But people would send me a tweet or an article and be like, "Hey, why are you so critical of the offense when so and so is saying this?" And I'm like, "I got you. I got look. You. I I can't speak for them. I can only speak for myself." It, and then you read, you know, these these articles coming from national writers about how how smart like there was literally a national college football writer that talked about the notion of Alabama trying to come after Tommy Reese for its offensive coordinator job I did see that and I'm thinking what in the world are you like am I in like the twilight zone and I know that 2020 has kind of messed up all of our heads (laughs) but like what are you smoking yeah did you not watch that game they just played you know, and so I just I look at it and I'm like, you know, you, you bring up the name Chip Long and it's worst thing to ever happen in Notre Dame, right? Hate that guy, cancer this, can't you know, and, and all these things that I'm just like, well, that's not what I what I heard from talking to players and parents and other people. And then you talk about how great of a job that Tommy Reese did. Well, Tommy Reese returned a quarterback, five starting offensive linemen, 
a talented receiver in Javon McKinley, uh, talented tight ends, Tommy Tremble, best tight, freshman tight end in the country. You got Kyron Williams emerges. You got Chris Tyree. Uh, you get the Ben Skoranek, the transfer and all that. And you still average 3.4 points, less points per game against an easier schedule, you know? And then you average 6.3 yards per play last year and 6.2 this year, again, against an easier schedule. And I'm and I'm watching that and I'm and I'm thinking, is the standard so low at Notre Dame that simply being competent enough to beat Duke and Louisville and Georgia Tech and teams like that is the standard for which people will now say someone did a great job? Uh, and I don't even necessarily blame Tommy Reese because I think Tommy Reese was running the offense Brian Kelly wanted him to run. Oh, I, absolutely. You know, so um, it, it's just it is really mind blowing honestly sure. Vince, to, to, to hear that and to see that and just think like, how can you watch these other teams? And they say, well, you know, Notre Dame lacks talent. And I'm like, okay, here we go again. Yeah. It's just the same old mantra right. that has no basis in reality whatsoever. And it's just, okay, whatever. Um, but yeah, it, it was infuriating. And the fact of the matter is, is this offense needs to get better moving forward. If it's, if it's going to, if they're going to compete for championships, but you know, we'll dive into that more specifically uh, moving forward because I do think the talent was better than a lot of people give it credit for not just the line talent not just running back I mean I think Notre Dame had had good talent to utilize I think the issue was that they didn't always utilize it the right way in the best way and that that to me was more of the issue of what we saw this year all right so uh, we're going to dive into each position group and we are going to kind of give our thoughts you know end of season thoughts and kind of where where this this group can go and, and we're going to be more big picture as far as where they can go because we're going to do some podcasts later on uh specifically per position group and what we think it's going to look like going into 2021 so stay tuned for those uh but because this is this is more focused on 2020 and then pushing us into the 2021 season so uh we're going to dive in more specifically but before we do uh we want to hear from one of our sponsors hey everyone before we get into today's pod i want to tell you about blue wire hustle a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone an opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. On top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. The best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate that any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup alone. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out that description box to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Okay, Brian. So uh, we need to talk some specifics here. Um, I say, as I mentioned in the last podcast, I'm I'm the glasses half full guy. So uh, not compared to you. I'm joking <laughs> again. But um <laughs> So we're gonna we're gonna talk about shots fired by Vince today, man. <laughs> we're gonna talk, we're gonna talk about the offensive line, uh, who I, and I don't know if the Joe Moore Award put out one two three. We know that Notre Dame was one of the three finalists. We know they didn't win, so they were either two or three um, uh, in that ranking because Alabama did end up taking home that Jaywandis Trophy, uh, being the best uh, offensive line in the country. But Notre Dame was not far off from that, so. Uh, the offensive line, a lot of good things to talk about. Unfortunately for Notre Dame in 2021, four of those guys are leaving. So, and, and the one guy that's sticking around probably won't be playing center, uh, his, the position that he's played for the last two years. So, well, let's, let's talk about the offensive line. Center, well, yeah, but, okay, but who enough. knows? Who knows? Fair enough. So let's talk about the offensive line. Um, your thoughts in the run game, your thoughts in the pass <clears throat> game, how they conducted themselves. I think they played extremely well as a unit. I think that there are some stars on the, in this group. I don't know that anyone really super stands out, like, you know, going to be a top three pick, a top five pick. 
But as a group, I just thought there, this there's no good. Quentin Nelson. There's no right. number six overall draft pick. I think Liam Eikenberg right. was a star. I, I do. I, 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 right. Right. Um, but when, when, when you're, you're referring to just that dominant where when you pop in yeah. the film, a novice can watch Quentin Nelson play and be like, holy, that guy's good. Yes. You know, That's Liam exactly. Eikenberg was more good in the same way that Zach Martin was good. I mean, you know, Liam Eikenberg is a second team All-American nomination or, or honor away from being a, a, a unanimous All-American. I mean, Associated yeah. Press had him as a uh, second team All-American. If they would have named him first team, which they should have, he would have been um, unanimous. He would have been unanimous. And he'd only been the second offensive lineman of the Brian Kelly era to do that. And, and so, I mean, that, that says a lot. I mean, I, I think he was a better player than Mike McGlinchey was. And, and I think the reason Mike McGlinchey got more fanfares because Mike McGlinchey had more of those dominant blocks, you know. Uh, well, being next blow. to Nelson didn't hurt. Certainly helped. It, it, but yeah. Liam Eikenberg's steadiness was just unbelievable. And he was an elite pass blocker. I mean, he has not – think about this. He has not given up a sack since – the second start of Ian Book's career. Well, third official start, but second start of the 2018. It was Stanford of two, in 2018, that home, September 29th home game against Stanford. It was the last time Liam Meikenberg gave up a sack. That's, that's really that's, impressive. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's, that's you know, good. And, and, you know, the thing I liked about this group, Vince, you know, and, and I liked their toughness. I thought they were – my big beef with them in 2019 was this was a group that was way too passive, way too yep. much catching. Yep. And and I think that I give a lot of credit to Jeff Quinn for, in my opinion, allowing uh, their influences into the room this year. You know, and that was mainly Chris Watt and that Harry Heastan influence, which, you know, this line played with a lot of the same mentality that we saw from the Harry Heastan offensive lines. And it's the first time we've seen a Jeff Quinn offensive line do that. Yeah, and agreed. And so kudos to him for, for going out and recognizing, like, look, we've got to be more physical running a ball, and we've got a guy here that can help, and, and, and he allowed him to help. And, you know, talking to sources, you know, Jeff Quinn allowed Chris Watt to have a bigger voice than past GAs. And, and so kudos to Jeff Quinn for that. And so yeah. now make no mistake, Jeff Quinn was still the offensive line coach. I'm not trying to diminish that. I'm actually giving him credit yeah, absolutely. for recognizing, like, hey, look, I've got, a, I've got an asset here. I'd be foolish not to use it. And so allowing that, and and there are a lot, Vince, you know this. There's a lot of there's a lot of coaches that don't that that don't want to allow another voice into the room. And so, no doubt so about it. To him for doing it, because if they didn't play the way they played, this Notre Dame offense would have been much worse, and we would not have been talking about a team playing for the ACC championship game. Agreed. Yeah. And then the other thing I liked, and here's where I'll give I'll give Notre Dame some credit. And here's here's what I liked about this line in past often great offensive lines. I felt like Notre Dame. Uh, at times, Vince would not be as good at protecting the quarterback because they had such an aggressive mentality when it came to run blocking. And I think that's something that hurt Mike McGlinchey a lot, for example, is he would be so focused on kind of coming off as a run blocker that he he struggled at times, you know, with pass blocking. And so, you know, when when you think about the 2017 offensive line, which won the Joe Moore Award, that year Notre Dame threw 352 passes. This year they threw 362 passes in one fewer game, right? So that's 10 more True, passes yeah. True. this season, right, in one fewer game. This year Notre Dame gave up 25 sacks, and I would argue at least seven or eight of those were on the quarterback or a running back. Absolutely correct. And in 2017, they gave up 30 running sacks. Bounds or running out yeah. of bounds. Right. That's that's on the quarterback. You know, in 2017, in, in one more game, but, but 10 fewer throws, they gave up 30 sacks, you know. And, and then the other thing, when you talk about context, you know, one of the things that I say about this team is what, what concerned me was that not only did they not have great numbers, but they didn't have great numbers against a schedule that was really soft when it comes to overall defenses. They played, I think, five of their 12 opponents were ranked between – were 90th or lower in scoring defense. Uh, another two or three ranked in the 60s. I think there was yeah. only like two teams yeah. that, you know, two or three teams ranked in the top 40. That's not good to only score 33 points against that. However, if you go, if you go specifically just to the O-line versus the D-line, that is one area where Notre Dame faced a lot of really good fronts. You talk about the Duke defensive line. Florida State's got high draft picks. Pitt had arguably the best one-two yeah. defensive end punch in the ACC this year. 
that was impressive. Clemson, obviously, you know, um, you look at Alabama's defensive line has a lot of highly ranked guys. And so they played a lot of really good edge yeah. rushers this year yeah. and, and really helped dominated. Their own against all of them. I mean, they, they dominated right. outside of Clemson the second time. And I think a lot of that had to do with the loss of Jarrett Patterson. Um, they pretty much dominated the yeah. defensive fronts the, that they played against. And the quarterback didn't help that that one either. Well, that's, you know, but but yeah. you also, I mean, I think when you talk about the offensive line, you, you've got to talk about a fact that they had, in my opinion, the best. And again, this is my view. I think they had the best one-two punch at tackle in the country, in my opinion. Um, and, and Lee Meikenberg and Robert Hainsey. And, and I still don't understand why Robert Hainsey didn't get more postseason love. I mean, you see people ranking Tommy Kramer as a third-team All-American. And, and no disrespect to Tommy Kramer, number one, he missed multiple games. Number two, Robert Hainsey was their, in my opinion, their second-best offensive lineman, sure. ahead of Aaron Banks. Aaron Banks was a more dominant player at times. He had the flashy plays. Right, the one that's why Aaron. About- with, right with, with Nelson and McGlinchey and that you know, that stuff that stands Correct. out now yeah, Nelson right. was flashy and dominant and consistent sure Banks was dominant at times he was flashy he wasn't consistent and you know to me Robert Hainsey because to me in an offensive lineman I love the I love the dominant blocks that's all great but I need consistency I need Absolutely. to know what I'm going to expect from you snap after snap after snap and to me, that's what that's to me what just made him so good and made him such an effective blocker, in my opinion. So uh, I, I really loved what I saw from him this year. Um, you know, I, I thought that that one-two punch was good. I thought Tommy Kramer was really starting to hit his stride when he got hurt. And that was the biggest bummer about him getting hurt when he did. Is I thought the couple games leading into his injury, he was – the appendectomy, he was really starting to hit his yeah. stride and playing well. Yep. I thought Jarrett Patterson was was really playing at a high level when he went down. So that's the bummer is I really – I would have liked to have seen that offensive line healthy and playing the way – because it was really – like I said, Vince, you go back to look at the last couple games – leading up to the you know the 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 uh the BC game I thought the off the Clemson game they were brilliant I mean they were absolutely brilliant in that yeah, game yeah um, they were outstanding against Boston College and even North Carolina I thought the line played really well when you consider all that North Carolina threw at them and, and then when Carell goes down now you're down you're now you're down to your third string center which then hurts you at guard because you had to move your backup guard who was starting at right guard so really you're down to your third center third center and your third guard against Syracuse right and I don't think they ever really recovered you know when you go to the ACC title game and then of course against Alabama I thought to see that unit take away the game and they score to see that unit play the way that it did in its final game together against the team they played against I thought was a fitting end for them as unit now that the the team didn't play great but I thought they were great and and they were the offense this year I mean any success that they had came because of the play of the offensive line and just that level of consistency of toughness, even yeah. when they didn't play great. Like, I didn't think they played great against Louisville, but they played physical. So they were able to open up run lanes. And that's what you want, Vince, because you and I both know there's going to be times when you're not going to be on your best from an execution standpoint. But one thing I always told my players is if you make a mistake, I can live with it as long as you make that mistake going 100%. Give me Absolutely. everything you got. And, uh, and that's what we saw from the line. And I think it was because they had great leadership. I, you know, when you look at Liam Eikenberg was a captain, Robert Hainsey was a captain. Tommy Kramer had a lot of captain traits, you know, uh, Jarrett Patterson was the, the, you know, the captain once they got on the field, you know, mm-hmm. as far as making the calls. And I just think there and was another little tremendous... lineman said that when he went down, Absolutely, like, we're missing Absolutely. our captain on right. the field. Yeah. Right. Robert Hainsey and Liam Eikenberg were the captains, you know, outside the whistles, sure. but Jarrett sure. Patterson was the guy that they all listened to when things were, when they were playing. So love, love that we saw that from that group and, and really good to see them bounce back and excited to see what this next, next group of players is going to be. But, you know, I think had they – this is going to sound crazy. Had they not had the injuries late in the year, I think you could have made a case that as a five-man unit, they played every bit as well as the 2017 unit did when you consider run and pass. Now, the 2017 line was a lot better as run blocking. I think this line was a lot better as pass blockers and I think their consistency was better. We didn't see like a Georgia game. We didn't see like a Miami game. You know, as great as that 2017 game team was, they did not play very well against Miami. They did not, they did not play well at all against Georgia. They had their ups and downs. This unit was much more steady. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I like about it. that. Uh, that unit was more dominant 
but this unit to me from a consistency standpoint was the best offensive line Notre Dame has had under Brian Kelly consistency wise not the most dominant sure maybe not the best overall but consistency wise is what I'm referring to I thought it was the best group and from a turnover standpoint, uh, as far I'm, I'm not turning the ball over from a year-to-year turnover standpoint, this is going to be the most turnover that Notre Dame has seen on the offensive line in a long, long time. And I, I don't know if – I'm, I'm hoping Notre Dame fans aren't taking for granted how good this offensive line was and how, how consistent they've been over the years. Over the past few years, they've been very, very consistent, very, very good. Uh, but the turnover – going into next year is concerning to me. And not because they don't have good players, because they do. They have good players in the two deep. It's just they're going to be so inexperienced coming into this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say this, Vince. If if Notre Dame goes out there and has another top five to eight offensive line next year, then <clears throat> Brian Kelly's next act as head coach is to get, is to get Chris uh, or Jeff Quinn a pay raise and to make sure that Chris Watt is a full-time, highly paid offensive line coach somewhere. You know, so, um, you know, that, that is, that is a, uh, that is a big, that's a big part of it for me. Yeah. You're not kidding. If those guys, uh, <laughs> they, they better be uh, heading to the bank, uh, yes. and just, just put the back flap on the, on the pickup truck down, uh, because they just need to be loading up on the cash because, mm-hmm. and again, it's not because Notre Dame doesn't have talent there. They've, they've been recruiting talent. I mean, they, they've got talent. It's just inexperienced talent. And, yeah. and we'll break that down. And they're not going to be quite as inexperienced as some people think. I mean, depending on what they do. I mean, if they move how Jared they move Patterson, around, yeah. you've got a you've got a multi-year starter in Patterson. You've got Zeke Carell now has a couple starts under his belt. Josh Slug's going to have like Lug. eight or nine starts under his belt by sure. this point in time. So it's going to be an experience, but not. it's not going to be like you're going to have five sure. guys who have never played college football before. Yeah. So, but that's so. going to be a fun. That's going to be a fun podcast to do. Yeah. I, I'm excited to talk about what this offensive mm-hmm. line can do because we've been talking about guys getting recruited and and right. you know, their recruiting status and all this stuff for the offensive line. We haven't seen those guys because they've had some pretty good guys ahead of them. So mm-hmm. uh, that that'll be a fun one to do. Let's let's go to the skill players um, and and we're talking running backs, wide receivers, and we'll throw tight ends into this category as well. So there's some ups, there's some downs, uh, definitely some things to think about. I think. Um, it, going back to last offseason, we we're wondering, you know, what is this running back room going to look like? How's it going to shake out? A lot of names, but how, who's going, what, where's the cream and is it going to rise to the top? And surprisingly for Brian Kelly, to me, to come out early and say Kyron Williams is the number one back, that's who we're riding moving into this season. That was surprising to me. I remember how good he was in the blue gold game when we saw him a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and I was excited about him. And then we saw him fumble the ball or drop the ball against Louisville in the first game of the season. And we never saw him again. Um, and so in the back of my head, I remember thinking, okay, Kyle Williams, he's a good back. I was excited about him at one point, but to hear that he was named the starter, I was surprised. I give Kelly credit. That one worked out pretty darn well. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's be honest though. That that was also partly because they didn't have anybody else. I mean, that the running back depth chart was destroyed by COVID in fall camp. I mean, Jafar oh, Armstrong missed a big chunk. Jameer Smith was hurt. Sebo was out for a while. I mean, there was a point in time where that's all that's what a lot of people don't know. And Chris Tyree missed a little bit of time too for contact tracing. Yeah, there that's and and they moved. Remember in fall camp they moved to Sita Ekwanu and Kendall right. Abdul-Rahman to running back. That's right, just for, so, just for reps, just for reps. It's. I can't say what he would have done if everybody's healthy. I don't know if Jafar would have – I don't know how it would have gone. I don't know sure. – I, I don't want to say he wouldn't have because I don't know. I don't. That would be unfair of me, and that would be me looking for a reason to be critical. But there was that was who it was going to be. Now, what I also was told was is that Kyron did play well early. But, you know, Chris Tyree was getting a lot of first-team reps early in fall camp too. And, and uh, you know, so I, I think early on that, that one-two punch established itself. And then when other guys got hurt, where I will give the staff credit is once they saw those two guys, the two best guys, it's kind of like, okay, that's what we're rolling with. Now there was a yeah. stretch in there where they were, you know, working Sebo Flemister into the rotation and working Chris Tyree out apparently for some reason. During uh, the season is what you're talking right, about. Right. That was baffling to me. Right. Now that was after Chris Tyree, I thought had already kind of established himself as a pretty good player. Uh, yeah. But it is what it is. <clears throat> it, is you that, know, so is that the difference in the season? 
Well, no, touches for Chris Tyree could have been very losing beneficial. Losing games where they were, they they nixed him out, and I don't know if he would have made the difference winning and losing against Clemson, but I think and he could have given you some, given you a spark, you know, like maybe yeah, ripping off too. a twenty-one yard touchdown run when he touches the ball. Oh wait, that did happen, uh, but it was thirty-four to three when that happened. Um, and, you know, yeah. so I I thought that the running back room was great, and, and you know, it's it's kind of like Chris Kyron Williams was the perfect running back for this team too, because you've got this big physical aggressive offensive line and then you've got this little short you know kind of sawed off running back that you know just ha- he's physical he's elusive he's got such thick lower body he's just got that perfect running back build and he's just arrogant and I mean that in a great in a way I positive mean, absolutely like, yeah he's just that kid that he thinks he's better than anyone he's going against and and you need to have that it, you have to have the mentality and you as long and it's really good it's great for a back as long as that back also has toughness and a great work ethic right if you're arrogant and then you think everything should be handed to you you're not gonna be any good Kyron Williams is not that kind of guy he is a he is a give me the flipping ball and I'm gonna go show you why you should give me the flipping ball he he runs he runs mad he runs angry and that is that is the biggest compliment I can give to a running back is that yeah. you just run it's like you he, he's got that swagger like you don't deserve to be on the field with me and i'm gonna yeah. go embarrass yeah. you. like what i don't think people understand is and we'll, hopefully we'll be able to get into some of this x's and O stuff during the summer but no, for a stretch of the season and, and i don't know if the average fan could have picked up on this because it worked notre dame was having a lot of issues with securing the backside of the running game because they weren't running read zone and they weren't running rpos Teams figured it out pretty early that Notre Dame couldn't protect the backside. Notre Dame trying to do some things with the line and tight ends to protect it, but they were having a lot of problems. And the the backs were able to make one – and that's really, as a coach, Vince, you know, I just need you to make one guy miss as a running back. And as an offensive line, it's like we just got to have you make – whether it's a guy that comes through in the backfield, whether it's a second-level guy, we need you to make one guy miss. We're going to block our five. got to make somebody miss. And I think of the long run he had against Florida State. It might have been the touchdown run. I, I, I have to go back and look because he had a couple really long runs against Florida State. One went for six, one didn't. So it may have been the, the non-touchdown run at the beginning. But Janarius Robinson comes off the backside unblocked because there just wasn't anybody to account for him schematically. It's not like it, it, no line right. messed up. There just was nobody to account for him. Sure, it's a numbers and, game. And Kyron makes him miss two yards behind the line and then rips off a huge run. And I'm thinking, as good as Josh Adams is, that's a two-yard loss in 2017. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, and I'm thinking, boy, but that's a heck of a run. And we saw him do that many times. I mean, the 65-yard run against Clemson, the offensive line blocked that play as good as you can block that play. And there was a uh, wide-open linebacker I mean, to make the play. It was a safety. A safety, a I'm safety. sorry. Yeah. Yes. It, but, like, the line did, did their – they blocked everybody. They picked up the twist. There's this huge long. But then there's Nolan Turner sitting right there in the hole, like 10 yards downfield, and and Kyron hits him with the dead leg and then just outruns him to the outside 65-yard touchdown. <laughs> that was great. And I'm like, that's not coaching. And this isn't a, this isn't a slap on, on, on Lance Taylor. I, was, I coached an All-American running back one year, and what I was told was your job as a position coach is to teach him his read and get him the footwork to the point where he inserts into the line of scrimmage. Once he gets to the line of scrimmage, you that's let him instinct. do what he's going to yep. do. Yep. You don't, don't overcoach him. And that's the biggest danger you can have with a running back is you overcoach him once they get the ball in their hand. Sure. And, and, and I think Lance did a great job of, of the fundamentals as, and pass protection, the fundamentals when it came to receiving the handoff, the, the fundamentals when it came to getting on the right aiming points. Those were all sound. But mm-hmm. then once they get in space, like you got to go let Kyron be Kyron. That's what any running back coach has to do. Sure. Sure. And he just made that guy miss. And, you know, there was Chris Tyree had plays like that. Kyron had plays like that. And when you have that at running back, it's going to make your offensive line so much better. Cause again, you can't block everybody. There's only five of those dudes. And then when you throw Tommy Trumbull in the mix, there's only six of them. Well, they, these have got 11 guys. Uh, but I think one thing that also made the running back, the, the, the run game so effective this year is you had a great offensive line. You had running backs that to me, Vince were very good football players, but, this was one of the best re- blocking receiving units in the country and one of the best that Notre Dame's had, which is saying something because Notre Dame's had some really good blocking receivers and receiving groups during sure. their tenure. Um, 
And, and this to me was just week after week after week. These, these guys downfield blocking was, and I mean, do you remember us? I don't remember a single time when a cornerback squeezed inside and stopped the long run. Yeah, right. I, I just, I don't remember it because they were just so dominant on the edge and as run blockers that it just, it, it, it turns eight yard gains into 20 yard gains. It turns eight, you know, 20 yard gains into 40 yard gains. I mean, that's what downfield blocking does. And I thought that group was great at it too. So um, I think they were great at, I mean, the offense, the running backs got better and better and better in pass protection. I think people were giving Kyron a little bit too much credit at the end of the year because he was getting those highlight reel big pickups, but consistency still needs to get better. But again, we're talking about a red shirt freshman and a freshman. Right. They're not going to look like grizzled right. fourth-year players in year two. I like Eventually. Them. But the thing about it, though, Vince, is I, they competed. You know, Kyron sure. made a lot of mistakes in pass protection, which a redshirt freshman is going to do, especially with how much these asked to do. But he battled. It was never a lack of toughness. There's sometimes he got knocked out, knocked back, because he you know, he'd come over late. But he had a willingness to – him and Tyree both, they had a willingness to do it. And, uh, and I like – and whenever they used – Kyron in the past game he was very good I mean he rips off a 75 yard screen in the first game of the year and we never see him go back to it that's a different argument but Mm -hmm. he was very effective he was able to line up in the slot run in cuts run crossers run drags make plays and when you have a running back that can line up in the slot and and legit run routes how do you defend that right and that's gonna be fun to watch moving forward it it really was they were a fun group to watch if you're if you like running the football this is a what made the 2017 running back so good Adams and Williams was they were just they would turn the smallest crease into an 80 yard run right and and that's not Kyron really I mean no it's not he doesn't have that kind of home run ability he has to you know make a person miss but I prefer the, the this type type of back the the you know the the toughness to make people miss the always you know, fall forward yeah just running angry yeah. like I said before yeah. I mean, that's that's it's a, a, it's a lot of lot of fun to watch those kids play yep and so let, let's talk tight ends um, this one is different now because Tommy Tremble's headed to the NFL I, I shouldn't say it's different now because that doesn't change the way 2020 right. went I thought that they could have used potentially the best one-two punch in the NF- in college football at tight end a little bit better. Um, that's me. Yeah. Um, I, I wasn't overly happy with – I was I was ecstatic about the, the evolution of Mayer. I thought that mm-hmm. as a true freshman, I mean, having that kind of a body as a true freshman and being able to do some of the things that he was able to do. And, and from a mental standpoint, you know, what, what he did in the Clemson game made two critical errors uh, early on in that game and still came back and, and really fought through it and, and was one of the reasons that they won that game. So um, I thought from a mental standpoint, I thought from a physical standpoint, Michael Mayer is one heck of a player. Nobody would disagree with that. Um, I thought they didn't use Tommy Trumbull uh, the way that they could have and that they, I think they could have seen even more success from the tight end position if they would have used him a little bit more in the past game. I think the tight end story can be written in three ways. Number one, great freshman season for Michael Mayer. You know, arguably one of the best we've ever seen from a freshman tight end at Notre Dame. And when you consider the long, long history of great tight end play at Notre Dame, that's saying something. Right. That's storyline number one. Storyline number two, your that was the tremendous, I mean, elite level run blocking we saw from Tommy Tremble. And then number three was the wasted opportunity. Yep. And that's that's the disappointing thing is, you know, Tommy Tremble caught 19 passes for 218 yards. I think he caught eight or nine balls in the first two games of the year. Yeah. And then he was like one catch, no catch the rest of the year. He had one game against Clemson. He caught three against Clemson the first time, two the second time, made plays whenever they actually threw him the ball against Clemson, and then they just didn't use him. And that that was one of the many, many storylines of the offense. And, and we would have got into some of that stuff in this show, but – we're, we don't want to be repetitive. And so when we kind of talk about the changes that are needed, we're going to dive more into the X's and O's sure. aspects of the offense as a whole. So that's why we're kind of sticking to the personnel, just so you all understand. We're sticking a little personnel a little bit more in this review uh, because we're going to have a lot of, of, of that offensive talk, scheme talk. But that, that was the disappointing thing that I thought we could have seen more of it. And the fact is, is when you're going to play 12, 13 personnel, 12 personnel, just so people don't, one, the first number stands for the number of running backs. The second number stands for the number of tight ends. And then the receivers is whatever's left over up to five because you can only have five, you know, five Still offensive players. linemen, one quarterback, so five. So 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends. 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end. 13 personnel, one running back, 
13 or three tight ends. 13 tight ends. Yeah, well, I mean, it seemed like it sometimes. If Notre could have done that, they probably yeah. would have. But. You know, and, and, but my thing is, if you're going to do that, then the fact of the matter is you have, to be, you have to be more effective using all of those weapons in the pass game. And we just didn't see Notre Dame do that enough. Yeah. Uh, even Brock Wright. I mean, it, look, if you're going to play him, he played over 300 snaps this year. He caught three balls you're just going to have to use him more at times, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so those are the things that were frustrating was you just – honestly, the, a big reason for the run game success this year, Vince, was they just out-talented people and had a great line and great backs. It, it was not necessarily great scheme. Um, it just they executed at a high level, which is why yeah. they struggled to run the ball effectively against Clemson the second time when Clemson was healthy, you know, because Clemson was missing – I mean, Clemson was basically missing their – Dalen Hayes – or actually, if you'd be more equipped, they were missing Adio Gandiji, uh, Jeremiah Wusukor Moa, and Drew White. They're equivalent of that the first time they played Notre sure. Dame. Yeah. How would Notre Dame have played against Alabama if they were missing yeah. those three guys? And, and so, but the point is, it, they just they were able to out-talent people. And when it came down to where teams could somewhat be on their level talent-wise, you could, you could eventually limit the run game. Al- Notre Dame ran really well the first half against Alabama, but then it slowed down the second half. Because Notre Dame wasn't utilizing those four. Per, I mean, it was so obvious so many times this year, Vince, when I'm watching Notre Dame, we could just sit in the press box and be like, oh, here comes a run. Oh, here mm-hmm. comes a pass. Because the formations and the alignments that they used for those two things were just so obviously this, you know, different that it was really obvious to see what, what was coming. And now you have to have some versatility, you know, some mix up, you know, to that. But it just – it was a very stale, predictable offense – and the fact that they scored as much as they did and had the yards they did just speaks volumes about how good the players were and how good yeah. how how effective they were and how they executed. And at tight end, I mean, even though they didn't use them the way they needed to, those two kids, Mayer and, and Tremble, combined for sixty one catches. That's pretty good. No, it know? is. And yeah. and when given the opportunity, they were outstanding. And and the biggest thing about Mayer was interesting is he was so much better after the catch. Then, then, you know, then, then I, I mean, I, th- I thought he would eventually get there because he did at high school. But, I mean, there's at least seven or eight off the top of my head catches I can remember on third down of him catching the ball sh- well short of the stick sometimes. And making a play. Yeah. yeah and, and just like yep. when you got a tight end that can do damage after the catch, you're almost as a defense, you're like, what are we supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. You know, we had the game. We had to play schemed. We had two guys hit this freaking tight end, you know, with five yards short of the sticks, and then he just bounces off of it. It's like, what are we supposed to do about it? How do you scheme that? Well, right. unless you have Alabama or Clemson's talent, there's nothing you can do about it. Yep, I, I agree. And uh, the, the, the tight end position is going to be one that's fun to watch for Michael Mayer. I, I wish Tommy Trumbull was coming back. That's probably a whole other podcast by itself. It, yeah, well, we'll get into that later. Yep. <laughs> but uh, but Michael Mayer obviously will be back, and so he's going to be fun. But from a wide receiver standpoint, two of the three guys that uh, you know started on a regular basis for Notre Dame are not coming back, but I guess the disappointing part for me from the wide receiver position is that those are the three guys that pretty much played 90% of the snaps. And I, yeah. I obviously don't have the numbers in front of me, but that's what it felt like. Um, you know, granted they would come off the field when there were tight ends involved and, and things of that nature. I get that. But when they were three wide receivers, it was the same three wide receivers all yeah. the time. And it was Javon McKinley, it was Ben Skoranek, and it was Avery Davis. And, and nothing against the three of those guys, but you need to be more multiple. You need to get other bodies on the field if you want to do anything in the pass game, frankly. And, and I want to throw, I want to put away the narrative of the fact that they could never get open because that yeah. is not so true. False. I'm sorry. So that false. is not true. I, the I'm, only people that say that are Notre Dame people. The national media has debunked this with video We've talked about it. You know, we're at games. You can watch the All-22 yourself. There, there's, guy, there's opportunities to make plays. Man. And just for the record, we're, we're not going to dive too much into that. We're going we're gonna to kind of wrap up with the receivers right. because we're going to have a show coming up here soon where we're going to talk about the quarterback position specifically, where we're going to talk about the, the present, the past, present, and future. And so we're going to talk a lot about Ian Book in his season, in his career then. So we're going to focus more on the running receivers. And to me, the receiver is a lot like tight end. It's like when utilized, I actually thought the receivers played really well. I mean, Javon McKinley did something this year that Chase Claypool never did, that Miles Boykin never did, that any receiver under Brian Kelly not named Will Fuller or Michael Floyd never did. And that was four games with 100 yards. Yeah. And when they, when they targeted him, he was good. 
I, I had a stat on this. When, they, when he caught at least five or more balls, the Notre Dame offense scored 39 points per game. Now, the team scored more because there's a couple of those games he caught five balls where they had a defensive touchdown or a special teams touchdown. Uh, you know, so, so you look at that and you say, boy, that's, that's, um, you know, that, that's an impressive number right there. When that guy's targeted, they score. When he yeah. wasn't targeted, they were under 20 points a game. Yeah. I mean, yep. how do you not know that? And, and to just eliminate him from the game plan against Alabama, and, and there were times this year where it just was like they're not even, they're not even looking at him, and he's open. And, you know, I thought the, he, played, he didn't play well against Louisville, but other than that, I thought Javon McKinley played well every game when he got the ball. When he got opportunities. Right. You can only and, play well when you get opportunities. Right. And, and you know, he, play, he was getting open, and he was a great blocker. And that's the thing I loved about Javon this year is it didn't matter if he was getting the ball or not. That never affected his run blocking. Mm-hmm. And same with Ben Skoranek. And, and, you know, I actually thought the three of them played well when, when used correctly. I sure. thought Ben Skoranek was a guy that is a nice complimentary piece. And when they Agreed. started finally using him as a complimentary piece, his production went way up. You look at his yep. production, the last five games was way more consistent. Five, four catches, five catches, three, four, four, four. That's who he was. He wasn't a, he yeah. wasn't a number two guy. He was a, he was a, a complimentary piece. And so he was effective there. And and, uh, you know, and then Avery Davis, another guy, when they, were, when they would target him and get him the ball, which they kind of did in that middle of the year, he was making plays. But then late in the year, they just stopped looking at him. I mean, the post route he has against Clemson in the first game was, a, was a, one of the biggest plays in, in Brian Kelly's tenure. No you know? And, and then he, he runs the same exact route, and he's open again against Clemson a second time, and Ian Book never even looks at him. And so it just was like, it was just a usage thing where you, even the guys that did play, you didn't always utilize the way that they should have. And then they'd give them these jet sweeps and it was like so telegraphed and everybody, you could see the defense yeah, pointing like, yeah. Hey, you know, and, right. And it just, it was just really stale and, and which again speaks volumes to their production level that they were able to do that when, when they really weren't an offense, it wasn't conducive to allowing them to make plays. And so, I thought those guys played well, and there was no point in time where I was like, you got to take Javon off the field. you got to take right. Ben off the field. you got to take Jay. No, it was like, use them. Let them be your starters. But, but also get yeah. Lawrence Keyes in the game. Get Jordan Johnson in the right. game. Get Xavier Watts in the game. Allow those guys to kind of show their skills. One of the biggest mistakes of this offense, and, and we'll kind of wrap it up here because it'll lead into our next offensive podcast, which is going to kind of talk about moving forward, is they need to – they have a very diverse – skill set at receiver they have a lot of different guys with different skills Javon McKinley is got a completely different skill set than Lawrence Keyes who has a completely different skill set than Xavier Watts who has a completely different skill set than Jordan Johnson who has a completely different skill set from Ben Saronic what they have done is this is what we do offensively and only the guys that fit that box are going to play and once the season starts that's all who plays and if one of the guys who is used as a rotation guy makes a mistake you're never going to see him again. Joe Wilkins makes that drop, has that drop against Syracuse, and we don't see him the next two games. You know, Lawrence Keyes fumbles that punt early in the year, and he's out of the picture the rest of the year. And, you know, it's like, well, how come that standard wasn't used on the veterans? You know, I mean, why, they could fumble the ball. They could turn the ball over. Ben Skronik had that real bad fumble against BC that allowed them to get back in the game. He doesn't get benched, you know, nor should he have. Right. You know, so, That's the, yeah, exactly right. You know, so – that was that to me the biggest story of the 2020 offense for me Vince is is the 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 physicality of the line the running backs the tight ends the receivers I mean and the quarterback there's not a position group that I look at and say boy that wasn't a tough kid not one the second story I'm gonna I'm gonna have is gonna be missed opportunities yeah you had so much talent that that and I'm so sick of people saying, well, they they lack talent. Bull. No, they did Bull. not. I'm not saying they had Devontae Smith, but you know who else didn't have Devontae Smith? All 128 teams in college football didn't have Devontae Smith. You, you know what I mean? Yep. And and they had the talent to go out there and 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 be a much better offense. Could they have been 49 points a game like Alabama? No, I'm not saying that, but they should have been in the 40, around 40. They should yeah. have been at least 38, 39, 40. And they just they didn't use it. They, they were stubborn. They were, they were very results-oriented, as I've said before, is not good. you got to be process-oriented. Just because you beat Duke or Louisville playing that way doesn't mean you can go beat Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State that way, especially right. a healthy uh, group. So that, to me, was the two storylines. Is If you could have used a modern offense with the physicality of the current roster, that would have been fun to watch. And, and all we can do now is speculate on what it could have been. 
because a lot of people are just going to evaluate that the offense, that the coaches called these plays because that's the best that they could do. And, and right. I think that's bull. Yeah. I, I think that's a cop out. Uh, I, I think that's blaming the players for the mistakes of the coaches. And, and that's my frustration is I feel like that's why Javon McKinley's not coming back. That's why Tommy Trumbull's not coming back. It's like, well, you didn't use me this year. What, what, what's why would I change? Yeah. Why would it change? Right. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a group that's got potential to be better even next year with all the losses, if they make the changes. But I will say this to wrap it up, Vince, this was a fun group to watch. If you're someone who appreciates toughness, yes, mental toughness, absolutely physical toughness, what this team had to overcome. And a lot of teams had to overcome it. And a lot of teams failed at it. A lot of teams couldn't have the discipline to not put themselves in situations where COVID became a problem. You know, a lot of teams, when, when things didn't go well, would kind of – they weren't able to, to – I mean, Penn State and Michigan just had disaster seasons. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And for Notre Dame to have the toughness mentally, the focus, the discipline, the leadership, this was a, this was a fun team to watch. And it, disappoint, it was disappointing at the end, but there's a lot of players from this team – that are going to leave their mark at Notre Dame. You're going to remember those guys. And, and one of the reasons why is because this was a very high-character football team. Their football, the football character of this football team was enormously high, one of the highest we've seen at Notre Dame, if not, if not the, when you look at across the board. Sure, sure, sure. And, and that's what made this team fun to watch, and that's what I'm going yeah. to remember. And even, Yes, it was disappointing and, and, and a lot of missed opportunities, but a lot of my frustration is at the coaching level. From a player level, this was a really fun team to watch. And this was a team that you felt if they were in the game in the fourth quarter, they were going to do what they needed to do to win. And when you look at their their ability to finish, make plays against Louisville, to match North Carolina score for score early and then put them away late and 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 just a lot of, you know, making those clutch two-minute drive against Clemson, making the plays in overtime. You just look at this team throughout the year, Vince, and when they needed to make a play – for you know in the regular season they did it and they were a lot of fun to watch I couldn't get it done at the end but as I said that's a coaching issue more than it's a player because that was an issue yep. in 2017 that was an issue in 2015 that was an issue in 13 12 11 10 way before these guys were thinking about sure. coming to Notre Dame that's been an issue yep but uh, the the heart and character of, the, of this group of players is um is, is something that I hope leaves a mark and if the the next group can kind of adopt that part of of this team then I think Notre Dame's going to have a chance to be pretty good next year because it, they had a great set of examples to learn from when it comes to character, professionalism, going about your business every day, and just how to conduct yourself as a Notre Dame football player. Um, no matter what position group you played, you had great examples in front of you this year. And I think that's the mark that this group, more than anything, is going to leave on, on Notre Dame. More than the points and the wins and all that, it's that this is Notre Dame football. This is how you conduct yourself as a Notre Dame football player. And and that was that was a pleasure to watch as an analyst. That was that was something that I will never forget. I'll probably forget the schemes that they use in five six years, but I'll never forget that part of what made this team unique and special. Well, that's going to do it uh, for our season recap of the offense. Stay tuned because we are going to break down the quarterback position a little bit more specifically. We thought that that needed a uh, kind of a podcast of its own and, and kind of where that position is headed. Uh, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, show that I'm really looking forward to. We are actually shows now. Uh, we're going to do super, superlative shows. We're going to hand out some awards. And uh, when, when we started putting the awards together, we realized this is going to be a two-hour show. Uh, so we're going <laughs> to split it up. We're going to split it up. We're going to do an offensive show. We're going to do a defensive show. We're going to hand out some awards. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, make sure you subscribe to wherever you get your podcast because it's going to be coming your way make sure you stay locked into irishbreakdown.com because uh, there's going to be all kinds of good stuff on there as well so for brian driscoll i'm vince daddario uh it, we enjoyed talking to you and we will talk to you next time on the irish breakdown podcast <laughs>
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.